G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to Footyology Final Siren Grand Final Edition and it's a huge congratulations to the Melbourne Football Club breaking a 57 premiership, a 57 year premiership drought in stunning fashion with a 74 point belting of the Western Bulldogs. An amazing game, an amazing achievement by them. We're here to take your questions if you've hung on. Um, and uh, if you've gone away, come back quickly because we've got a lot to talk about. It was a pretty incredible uh, day and evening of football over there in Perth. I think as a spectacle, it was fantastic and uh, just an amazing game in terms of the turnaround. We're here to discuss it all. So get your questions in. I can see we've got a few there, so we'll get through them. But uh, firstly, allow me to say good evening to my footyology final siren, Co-host Mark Fine, who I'm sure would also like to congratulate the Melbourne Football Club. G'day, Finey. Smashed the drought. 57 years fades away with the best team of 2021 playing their best game of 2021 in the most devastating, I have never seen a grand final or final turn on its ear like this game did during that third quarter, this was absolutely devastating and at the forefront was one of the great grand final individual performances of all time as well. So you can bask in the glory of brilliance, Melbourne. This was not done in any way other than brilliantly. Top shelf performance by a brilliant team with brilliant individuals. Absolutely. And... uh... Look, they were the best side of the season um, throughout the home and away rounds. And sure, had the Bulldogs got up tonight, we'd probably say the same thing about them. But uh, no one would have any quibbles that we have a very, very worthy Premier indeed. Um, we're starting to get a few questions now, so good to know people are watching this. Um, we'll start running through the questions. So, of course, the great individual performance you were talking about there, Christian Petrarca who uh, allowed me a small, humble brag. I did tip to win the Norm Smith medal. Hardly, uh, hardly a long shot. In fact, I'm, no, pretty no, sure well done. I'm pretty sure he was the favourite to win it. But what an incredible performance from him. 40 disposals, two goals, 24 contested possessions, nine clearances. And uh, I didn't check the score assist, but boy, they would have to be high because he was a huge influence on that turnaround. Speaking of turnarounds, we had a 40-point turnaround first from the Western Bulldogs, who got themselves out to a 19-point lead after earlier on trailing by 21 points. And in fact, the Bulldogs led by 19 points, 16 and a half minutes into the third quarter and lost by 74 points. Would you believe that? They kicked eight of nine goals to get to that 19-point lead and then Melbourne kicked 16 
of the last 17. It's just, I'm still having trouble getting my head around it. All right, let's start with the scores and then we'll uh, jump onto anything you guys and girls out there would like to talk about. So we're right with the scores, Damon. Damon, uh, labouring under duress tonight, he's uh, doing a very workmanlike job in the face of great adversity. Uh, let's have a look at the quarter by quarters. The Demons getting off to that better start, 4-5 to 1-2. Uh, as it transpired, the only quarter that the Bulldogs dominated was the second, but they did it in pretty convincing fashion, 6-3 in that second term to just 1-4 by the Demons. An eight-point lead to the Bulldogs at halftime. They then kicked the first two goals of the third quarter, and after Bontempelli's third, as I said, they lead by 19 points. Melbourne's response, well, the first came from Bailey Fritch, 16 minutes, 34 seconds into the third term. He kicked what I think was his third goal of the evening. Yep, that is correct. That reduced the margin to 13 points. What then ensued was a landslide. Melbourne kicked seven goals in under 16 minutes to finish the third term. In fact, they kicked the last three of those within the final minute of playing time. And they then followed that up with another nine goals in the last quarter to the Bulldogs' solitary response from Adam Trelaw. The game pretty much wrapped up after Ben Brown's first goal that last quarter made the difference 30 points. And then it was just a procession. Fritch, Neil Bullen, Wangden, Tom McDonald finished off with two goals. Salem, Jackson, Fritch ending up with six. The most goals kicked by a player in a grand final since Darren Jarman, all the way back in 1997. So some amazing records this evening. And the Demons running out, 74-point winners in the end, 21-14, 140 to the Bulldogs, 10-6-66. Let's have a look at the goal kickers and best for the D. Six to Fritch, three to Brown, two to Petrarca, two to McDonald, singles to Spargo, Brayshaw, Sparrow, Oliver, Neil Bullen, Langdon, Salem, and Jackson. For the Bulldogs, three to Bontempelli, three to Trelaw, singles to Rourke Smith, Norton, Hunter, and Johannesson, the best, as voted by you, Mark Fine, Petrarca, an obvious best on ground. Oliver Fritch with his six goals, Salem, Brayshaw, Skipper Max Gorn, and Ben Brown. And for the doggies, you went with Bontempelli, McRae, Daniel, who racked up the touches early. I think he had more than 20 at halftime. In fact, 26 to halftime for Caleb Daniel, finished the game with 37, so a bit more subdued in the second half. Trelaw, Liberatore, and Bailey Smith. But all credit to the Demons, an absolute smashing. Uh, quick word on your best, Viney, anyone unlucky to miss out? Oh, well, Melbourne, they queued up, didn't they? But they were great games. I thought Bowie for a player in his, what, seventh game or eighth game was fantastic. Sparrow was good and important as well. They had contributors. Jackson played a great game, actually. Unlucky not to be in the best, or my best. Maybe in others he would appear. Viney was excellent. 
And for the doggies, it did start to thin out a little bit, didn't it? I thought English played pretty well and Stefan Martin, they competed all right. But they just did not have that midfield depth having the impact that we thought it would the longer the game went. We got to that 16-minute mark of the third quarter and everything seemed pretty well in check as far as the dogs were concerned. And then all hell broke loose. I mean, the demons unleashed the gates of hell. They opened them up, and I've never seen anything like it. We don't score like that in football anymore. They scored what, 16 goals in a quarter and a half of football. That, that's 40-goal-a-game speed. It's just irreconcilable. I can't still understand what I saw, to be honest. And by the way, for those who like to dabble, that one peculiar bet that's very popular on grand final day, who kicked the first goal? Have a guess, Christian Petrarca. Well, and I'm amazed, I, I did say in my uh, giving the tip that he is built for the big stage and there's something very Dustin Martin why about him and uh, certainly underlined again today. Uh, I'm just going to turn off my TV so I don't turn blue when there's a blue background on the screen there. That's better. All right, let's start whipping through a few questions and comments. Trout from Wood Ends here. He says, didn't see that coming after time, after halftime. Smashed them. Well done, Dees. Uh, David Haley, that was a statement. Uh, reckons I'm happy to have backed Petrarca to win Norm Smith. Well, I would be, David, if I'd backed him, but uh, I'm not one for betting on footy. Uh, Tony Hollander says, magic game by Dees. Uh, George Garnis, good day, George, says, Hawthorne, Richmond, Melbourne, Bulldogs, all nearly went out of business in the 90s, have won eight out of the last nine flags. That's a good observation, isn't it? Uh, thank God for equalisation. Thank God mainly for the resilience um, of supporters of Melbourne-based clubs. So, yeah, uh, it's a really good point, isn't it? Hawthorne, Melbourne nearly merged, of course, in 96. Richmond nearly went broke in the 80s. Bulldogs nearly merged and became the Fitzroy Bulldogs in 89. Yeah. Um, it's a real testament to uh, the determination of people and the, the deep attachment they have to their footy clubs. And uh, I'm sure, well, the AFL has changed policy on mergers and uh, not surprising when you see results like this coming out of the teams that managed to hang on finally. No, it's a really good point. Very well picked up. And I guess it makes a... It's timely now to make a comment about the tens of thousands of Melbourne supporters who have endured a difficult five and a half plus decade since their last premiership that for the bulk of those supporters, they sat at home tonight in Melbourne and watched the glories unfold. And as wonderful as it was to, I'm sure, see their team once again be the best team in the land, spare a thought for those who've gone to the football week in, week out with friends and family and only get to see it on TV and can't even enjoy that game in the company of others because of the nature of the lockdown Melbourne is still under. So, yeah, I spare a thought for them tonight. It's by no means takes away from this great win, but for the supporters, it's a different way of experiencing it. Yeah, it certainly is. I think we all know a few long-suffering Melbourne fans and uh, are certainly thinking of them right now. And 
Uh, I'm sure they can make up for it at some stage, but uh, yeah, it would be, well, it'd be mixed emotions, but I still think the predominant one would be absolute ecstasy given what they've been through. Uh, Robert Rice says, well done to Melbourne. They didn't just break the curse. They performed a full-blown exorcism. <laughs> uh, Grant King gives his three votes to Darren Burgess, which is a really good point. The Melbourne fitness man, uh, much lauded in his uh, previous work in football and then in soccer. I'm just trying to remember which club he was at now. I've, I should remember, but I can't. Someone, well, I'm sure, will remind me. But, uh, boy, they, you uh, any doubts we had about them being uh, prepared or match-hardened enough, given they'd played one game in 28 days, well, how much uh, stronger did they finish? Um, be interesting to know how much that was a factor. The Bulldogs did look pretty beat towards the end, but how much of that was due to the fact they knew they were beaten on the scoreboard? Uh, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen grand finals blow out like that. Uh, Julian Evans says, can't remember a blowout grand final when the loser actually looked like winning halfway through the third quarter. I mean, that is the most amazing thing about this. You think of other grand final blowouts, most of them have been done and dusted at half time, haven't they? Yeah, um, I mean, Rowan Melbourne had scored one goal in almost two quarters of football and, yeah. and they looked almost bereft of a clear passage forward. They just couldn't get the ball going their way in any meaningful manner at the start of that third quarter. They kicked a point, but all of a sudden the doggies were well on top and full credit to, well, there was a piece of play. Harms was quiet all night, but that was a beautiful kick to Fritsch. He goaled. Fritsch then took advantage of flying third up and being very adept at landing like a cat, kicked another goal, and the rest was just breathtaking. What they did out of the centre for the rest of that quarter was savage, wasn't it? Well, the second goal to Fritsch came uh, directly from a centre clearance from Petrarca. The next goal to Ben Brown, uh, barely two minutes later, came from a direct clearance from uh, Christian Petrarca. Uh, and I've got Tom Sparrow's goal also from a centre bounce clearance from Petrarca, who actually kicked the goal before that sensational dribbled effort. So there's three goal assists in that burst of seven goals and another which he kicked himself. In fact, I mentioned the three goals they kicked in the last minute of play. Uh, Petrarca's goal came with 47 seconds left on the clock. Tom Sparrow's goal came with 20 seconds left on the clock. And Oliver's, I don't know, this can't be right, surely. Uh, Oliver's goal came with 15 seconds left on the clock. They can't have yeah. scored one in five seconds of play. Yep, they did. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oliver got that ball in the centre square, took three yeah. steps and kicked the goal. They only just got stopped from going forward again after that. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Oliver's goal came from that uh, handball from uh, Jackson. So Petrarca in that third quarter, uh, 28 at three, yeah, 10 disposals to Petrarca in that third term, three goal assists and a goal himself. He's <laughs> one of the greatest uh, bursts of grand final football on an individual level, I think we've seen. All right, let's keep moving on. Um, 
Peter Phoebe says, as a Doggies member, well done, Dees, and enjoy it like we did in 2016. Very gracious of you, Peter. Um, Julian Evans, how about the importance of moving Jackson into the ruck? It was a big move. You wouldn't have thought he would be the guy that could be uh, pivotal in turning the game around, but he really was. They really started winning those clearances when he went into the ruck halfway through that third term, didn't they? Yeah, very mobile and becomes an instant sentiment as soon as that ruck duel is contested. They, they were just perfect. They were near perfect for certainly for 47 seconds. I mean, uh, the Bulldogs were a goal down with a minute to go in the third quarter and Bontempelli had the ball 60 metres out from goal. He marked the ball. I mean, it's just inconceivable what happened next. I, I'm still trying to come to terms with it, other than to say that Petrarca and Oliver put their foot down and they are superstars. And very quickly in that last quarter, by the way, I mean, four goals was not insurmountable, certainly not the way the game had played out. Um, I mean, that's why I, I, I felt Ben Brown... His three goals were really timely, but his hands were beautiful tonight, weren't they? Anytime yeah. he went for the ball, he just clunked it. No, their forward setup was uh, terrific. I mean, McDonald was very quiet. Even he came good in the end. But Fritch has been the man. I mean, like I said, no one's kicked six in the grand final since Darren Jarman in 1997. Their forward setup turned around them almost the moment Ben Brown came into that team. Um, I'm trying to remember if that was the Gold Coast game or the week before, but uh, the Gold Coast game was when they're scoring, which had been a, a real issue for four or five weeks, suddenly came good again. They ended up kicking, I think, three or four of their, or even more, five maybe, of their highest scores to the season came from that moment on. So a little bit reminiscent of what Richmond did in 2017. You know, they certainly had, you know, they were winning, but they had trouble kicking high scores. They went over to Fremantle, I think about three or four games before the end of the season. Thump Fremantle and Jacob Townsend came out and kicked five, I think. From that moment on, they became a really high-scoring team. So, all right, let's keep moving. Uh, as, as Melbourne did from three-quarter time of the last of the home-and-away games. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, of course, that uh, comeback against the Cats. Uh, Grant King says, would like to know your thoughts on the role of a centre-bounce sweeper. His role is to deny clearances at the front gate of a stoppage. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the, the centre-bounce clearances were really interesting. At half-time, um, the Dogs were, in fact, leading the centre-bounce clearance count 7-5 at half-time. At three-quarter time, it was 11-9 Melbourne's way. So it was... Uh, what was that? Pardon me. It was six to two in that third quarter. So that would have been the time, wouldn't it? But you're right. I mean, the two Petrarca took out there, Oliver's last one, they were almost unimpeded, weren't they? Straight out of the square inside that 50. But, uh, but remember, you've got 666. So what are you going to do? Leave a man unmanned in the forward line or... No you, wingman. no, you just have one of your starting four at the back, at the very back of that centre square, which almost concedes possession, but at least you can yeah. stop them running within scoring distance. All right, I'm just going to zip through a few here because we're getting behind. 
Um, all right, uh, David Chet loves the night grand final, love the week's buy after a preliminary. Uh, still no or no for me, David. Uh, Finey, one word, yes or no? No. No, on both? Oh, correct. Okay. Uh, Julian Evans, is that the most goals in the last quarter since the Dons in 84? No. Essendon kicked 11 in the last quarter in 1985. So... Uh, I think that remains no, no one's kicked more than eleven in the last no. quarter. So that that remains the highest. Essendon eleven in eighty-five. Uh, Steve Healy says a hundred to seven, yeah, hundred points to seven points. Um, ben Healy says, "Fine, it was good to hear your old final siren theme in the pre-game entertainment." Yeah, yeah, I got a couple of SMSs regarding that. Some who did the cover version of it? It uh, was Eskimo Joe, I think, with mm. a bit of help from friends. Oh, look, I've got to say, um, you know, not necessarily my cup of tea, all of it, but I thought the pre-game entertainment was pretty good. I thought it was one of the better ones we've had, actually. What do you think of it? I didn't watch the pre-game. I was watching Melbourne Storm disappointingly get knocked out of the NRL season. I watched a bit of that. I did watch a bit of that, and it was disappointing. All right, Simon Fazio says, a lot made it a curse of Norm Smith being broken. But the curse of Jordan McMahon still alive and well. The only player left from the infamous 2009 D's v Tigers tanking game was Stefan Martin. <laughs> that's, that's pretty interesting. Okay. Um, all right, Julian, again, this Melbourne team reminds me of the Lions after the 2001 win. Had been there about but were seen as not reliable after losing two preliminary finals. And then they clicked based on each player understanding and sticking to their role, even under intense pressure. Uh, can you see this Melbourne team winning a premiership hat-trick and making four grand finals for me? No. Okay, nice and succinct. Um, oh, all right. You know why I say no? Because it, well, is such it an doesn't an... happen very often. Correct, because it's such an enormously difficult feat to just concede it when a team wins one brilliantly show scant respect for those that have done it. Um, uh, I'm just going to send a message here to Damon because there's a lot going on. Damon, could you just give me a bit of an update on how many people we have simultaneously every five minutes or so, if that's okay, via text? Because I've got to say, the number I'm looking at is significantly lower than what we apparently have. So uh, good to know people are tuning in. Uh, I'm not sure what Channel 7 is doing now. They've probably gone to a replay of My Kitchen Rules or something, have they? Never mind, we'll keep going. Uh, Andrew Gardner, footyology's own. Andrew Gardner says, tonight was a massive success. Should we get used to night grand finals? Lots of money in prime time. Well, it's, you know, I get tired of talking about it, to be honest. I mean, look, for what it's worth, my understanding is the AFL Commission as a group is still pretty... Uh, keen on the day grand final, but such is the sort of pressure that the broadcasters now put on them. And by the way, can I just say, Fonny, I think you and I both watch our football via Fox Footy or KO. So this is the first game I actually watched on Channel 7 all season. Mm. I'd forgotten just how infuriating um, an ad after every goal is. And when Melbourne kicked three in that last minute, it was just ridiculous. It just, yeah. I mean, you needed to. I'm sure I'm not wrong in saying that back in the day, 
there would be times when they didn't necessarily go to an ad after every goal. But, I mean, it just totally ruins the, the moment, doesn't it? That's exactly what I thought. You had to soak in what was happening there in that last minute of the third quarter and not, and not have it diluted by an ad for Toyota and an ad for this and that for that. And I understand that that's really the money that's keeping football going. But, you know, surely they would have been happy with one or two of those goals to fit an ad in and they could have been generous enough to let us soak in the atmosphere and the reaction of the Melbourne and Doggies players at that important moment and give us at least one of those goals back to the centre without going to an ad. Anyhow, I know this much is true, Rowan. That having been, having seen the first game of the year with ads, because we do watch our games without ads, I now know that every goal comes with an ad. Because let me tell you, they couldn't have imagined 17 in the last quarter and a half, but they took an ad after every one. So I know what the rules are. Yeah, uh, I've got to tell you, I, I, as much as I've been moved like everyone else by the Google ad and the, uh, I think, Sudanese girl playing football, I am a bit over it now. And just by the by, I've had a stupid debate with people on Twitter because I, I played the crotchety old man and said, my one issue with that ad is the fact that the guy who says to him, your daughter's having a blinder, says it during a training session. You don't say that watching someone train and then everyone started arguing me arguing with me saying how do you know it's training then i was i had to resort to freeze framing the ad so i could prove that all the girls are wearing different gear and it is in fact a training session i'm telling you no one says your daughter's having a blinder when they're training i don't think so. i've got to be honest if going back to my junior days if if one of the worst players in the team managed to hold on to a mark or two at training, I probably would have said they're having a blinder. Okay. <laughs> no, but you know, like the you know how you had the like the kid that just and you see now everybody gets an even go, but back then we had permanent sort of nineteenth and twentieth men in under twelves and they were never gonna have a blinder on a Sunday, so or a Saturday, yeah, it was Sunday, so maybe at training they could have. Tongue in cheek. I want to just mention one player, Rowan. Yes. Now, have you got the final voting on the Norm Smith? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'll just go to my email and have a look if it's come through. Uh, I have indeed got it right now. So let's run through it and then you give a reaction to it. Yep. And apologies for my white face. It's my computer screen. Uh, Christian Petrarca, 15 votes. Uh, unanimous best on ground from all five judges. Incidentally, judges were Luke Hodge, chairman. Harry Taylor, who was working for ABC Radio. Tanya Armstrong, a uh, veteran of WA Sports Media. Andrew Cracker, I think he might have been working for NIRS. And Callum Toomey of AFL Media. So the final voting, 15 to Petrarca, 10 to Bailey Fritch, two votes to Clayton Oliver, one vote to Christian Salem, one vote to Caleb Daniel. So Hodge went Petrarca, Fritch, Oliver, Harry Taylor went Petrarca, Fritch, Salem. Tanya went Petrarca, Fritch, Oliver. Andrew Cracker, Petrarca, Fritch, Daniel. And Cal Toomey, Petrarca, Fritch, Oliver. 
Okay. Um, I'm surprised Fritsch was that clearly everybody's second pick. Kick six, Trust, mate. Yeah, no, no, one, no one's kicked six in the grand final for 24 years. No, no. I thought Oliver was magnificent. Yeah, but, he was. Yeah. He was. And I'll just give you the stats on Oliver. 33 disposals for him. Salem had 27. Uh, Brayshaw and Viney, 25 each. Um, Alex Neil Bourne, uh, who was important at the start, and I was told by some very good judges he would be important in the start. 24, Max Gorn, 21. For the Doggies, Caleb Daniel ended up with 37. Uh, Adam Trelaw, 28. Good to see him um, have a couple of good finals too. Uh, Bailey Smith, 26. Bit uh, less obtrusive or a bit more unobtrusive tonight. Bondapelli, 25, of course, three goals with that, as well as Trelaw. 25 to McRae, certainly quite a receiving. Liberatore, 23. Bailey Dale, 21. I'll tell you what really uh, let the Bulldogs down tonight, finally, their forward setup. Aaron Norton, apart from that snap, couldn't get warm. Uh, Cody Waitman, invisible. In fact, at one stage near half time, I thought, Cody Waitman, and I had a look and he'd had two disposals. Um, I mean, and- it, must be, it must be said that once again, the grand final proves to be the graveyard for small forwards because because Cosy Pickett was also extremely quiet. So there's no place for a small forward, a grand final. Yeah, well, just to uh, finish up on the doggy forwards, uh, Waitman and Hannon both ended up with just seven disposals, no goals. Uh, Norton just the nine and that one goal, which was, uh, in fact, I'm not sure how many, I'll just have a look quickly how many marks Norton ended up with. And the answer is four marks. I don't remember any of them, to be perfectly honest. Um, and uh, Josh Shackey ended up with 11 disposals and also no goals. So uh, one goal between their four key forwards, uh, not really surprising um, that they got smashed in the end. Six goals coming from two midfielders combined. Uh, I, can but- remember, I can remember one of those Norton marks, Rowan. And it was at that point that Melbourne were at their lowest ebb. They were 19 points down. They kicked the ball into their forward line and Keith took a lovely mark and he kicked it to the wing and Norton, third up, right on the wing, took a mark. And at that point, you thought, right, Norton's getting a bit of a spring in his step. The Melbourne forward line is now not functioning. Keith is positioning himself well. And that was probably 30 seconds before the end of the game for the Bulldogs, that first goal by Bailey Fritz in the comeback. But at that point, I thought things are good for the doggies. Now, uh, one thing I'm just noticing here, I have apologies again if you're trying to watch us through Twitter and it's been very difficult for people to watch. I think people might be having trouble leaving comments via Twitter because every comment that I'm looking at now is coming from Facebook. So uh, if you want to comment and you're having trouble on Twitter, I suggest you head to my Facebook page, which is uh, uh, Rowan Connolly AFL. And uh, it's got the blue tick there. You'll find the live stream there and no problems commenting. So apologies again, Twitter have picked the worst possible moment to change your technology on this. Yes, uh, sorry, just getting...
Oh, okay. Uh, just getting an update there from Damon. So we've got a few more comments here I want to zip through and then uh, we'll resume. And uh, please keep sending through some comments because we're getting to the end of what we've got now. Uh, Bobo Kelly says, entertainment was disappointing, more covers than originals. I did wonder why, even when they have it, uh, bands doing entertainment now, they do seem to do covers, like that band at the Brownlow who did Long Way to the Top, uh, which as much as I like ACDC is from like 1974 or something. Um, uh, Robert Rice says, does Hibbard go on next year or go out on a high note? Oh, I think it'd go on for sure, wouldn't he? I reckon he's got uh, plenty of um, footy left in him. He's struggled at times for a game this year, but um, he's ended up playing in the Premiership. Not sure how old he is, actually. If someone wants to get back to us on that, but I wouldn't have thought he was. I would have thought he was twenty-eight, maybe. Um, Peter Phoebe again. Channel Seven had to go cash converters ads featuring Christian Petrarca. Why would he go to a cash converters? Well, he's got a couple of medals and he might be able to get decent um, <laughs> decent exchange for now. I don't even know how cash converters works, to be honest. Uh, Niall O'Brien says, the ads are frustrating. I had the radio on digital, which is almost in perfect sync with digital TV. And with the radio still hearing the crowd is much better than the flatness of an ad. So incessant ads after multiple goals is soul-sucking. Hear, hear. Uh, Joseph Cardillo wants to congratulate Melbourne. Well-deserved from a Tiger fan. Petrarca is the new king. Unstoppable. Maka J says, these remind me of the Cats of 2007. So many young, classy, talented players. Eight under 21. They have set themselves up for a dynasty. Uh, Austin Phillips, Brayshaw and Viney, great in that third quarter when the Doggies had the momentum, helped turn it around. Tony Twist says, who was the best good story, in inverted commas, from tonight's game? Loved Angus Brayshaw. Um, well, it was a good piece uh, Tom Thomas wrote on Footyology um, yesterday, actually, that has got a decent run around social media again today about the good stories out of this grand final. Uh, Adam Trelaw, he nominated as one for the Doggies. Rourke Smith um, was another one. Uh, who else? Alex Neil Bullen. Um, you know, he's been a bit of a battler. I guess Stephen May is a pretty good story. Didn't he play in some ridiculous amount of losses in his first 100-odd games or whatever it was for him? Yeah, and he didn't arrive at Melbourne in the best of conditions, so he had to win. And he admitted this. He had to work very hard to win the respect of the playing group. Yeah. And I've got to say, I thought it was a an apt observation late in the second quarter when she questioned how fit Stephen May was. Yeah. And I started to worry about whether or not he was the right man and whether they should have gone with a fitter Joel Smith. But he stood he, he stood up pretty solid in that first part of the third quarter where there was a bit of a barrage. Yeah, and I think so, um I think Lever Lever started to really do a lot more intercepting, didn't he, after half time. So that sort of alleviated a bit of the responsibility, yeah. I think. Um, our former SEN colleague, finally, Mark Doran, has weighed in to say Waitman took a heavy hit against the goalpost, which rocked him. That was a heavy hit. Do you remember that one? I do, and I, he should have shepherded. I mean, that it was a snap. It was a long curling kick by one of his teammates, and 
he could have actually just bumped his opponent, not gone for the ball, would have gone through the goals. I know that's a split-second decision, yeah. but he hit the post really hard, of course, and he's only coming back from a concussion incident. So, yes, that's a really good observation, Mark, and good day to you. Uh, J again, Ben Brown, what a journey. I've got to say, I'm almost as pleased for him as anyone in that side, finally, because I, I, I was speechless when North Melbourne let him go. Um, I thought, you know, he'd been great value for me. More than 60 goals, I think, three years in a row. Had one ordinary season when he was carrying a knee injury. Um, and look what's happened. And, you know, even earlier this year, people were saying, oh, geez, Melbourne's got a dub with Ben Brown. It certainly took him a while to get fit and play a few VFL games. But the difference he made to them when he came back into that team, it just took all the pressure off McDonald which in turn, it was sort of like a domino effect, wasn't it? Sort of allowed Bailey Fritch to have less attention on him and then he started kicking bags of goals. Um, probably gave Pickett more opportunities at ground level and he sort of regained form and he'd lost. Just seemed to have this, um, is it a, yeah, domino effect, I think, but I don't know, domino effect's negative. This is a positive domino effect. No, no, no it was a positive do no, domino effect. effect is correct because... Don't they all fall down, though? That's not good, is it? Well, that's the aim, I think, when, you, <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing one of those domino trains. But yeah. the bottom line is that he does cover a lot of ground as a forward, so he takes a fair bit of marking. And he was, tonight, exactly what Melbourne would have hoped for, a strong pair of hands and, when it counted, a beautiful kick. Because, as we pointed out, they only kicked a goal in almost two quarters of football between the latter stages of the second quarter and the 16-minute mark of the third quarter, he did kick that goal. And his goals were all beautifully, after after a couple of early misses, and one from the boundary and one just a, a bit of a desperate snap, uh, they were beautifully measured Ben Brown specials off the long run. So well done to him. I want to make mention of Christian Salem. He played a game that in other years could have won a Norm Smith medal. He was great, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, look, they had... Um, I mean, their big, their big names all stood up, didn't they? I mean, uh, actually, just give me two seconds to have a look at your best again. And basically, if you were to nominate Melbourne's best, you know, seven or eight players, they'd all be in this list, wouldn't they? Uh, Petrarca, yes. Oliver, yes. Salem, Brayshaw, Gorn. Certainly five of uh, the seven players you nominated, Fritch and Brown, import, very important structurally. And interestingly, um, no defenders in the best, but when we talked, when we previewed the grand final, we talked about Melbourne's defence up against the Bulldogs' forward line. Um, Bulldogs' number two scoring team in the competition. They've been held to, what was it, 10 goals? Uh, one of their lowest scores of the season. Uh, midfields seen as being pretty evenly matched. Obviously, Melbourne won that decisively in the end. But the one where I we talked about it in when we gave our tips, I certainly thought, you know, perhaps Melbourne could get a real advantage if that forward setup clicked. Because I think the probably, you know, if the Bulldogs had a bit of an Achilles heel, it's probably that defensive setup, isn't it? And so approved, you know, even without McDonald exerting a big influence. Um, you had Brown, uh, Fritch taking marks. You had well, even Pickett pretty quiet as well. But 
marks inside 50 actually ended up 17 to four. So you're taking 17 marks inside your 50 and you're holding the opposition to four. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a figure like that for marks inside 50 and one side not winning the game very convincingly that often at all. So um, I felt like they really exerted their potential to um, eke out an advantage over the Bulldogs on that level. Uh, Rowan, a bit of a sort of a tough task, but one we can do when analysing the game. Who was disappointing for the Doggies tonight? Oh, well, the guys, I, I, those forwards, Cody Waitman, barely sided, uh, uh, Mitch Hannon. I named, I did a piece during the week about three lesser lights who could all make a huge difference. Hannon had to be one of them. He kicked six goals in the previous three finals. Again, basically unsighted. Shaki failed to have that sort of defensive um, impact that he'd had playing as a forward and didn't kick goals. And Aaron Norton didn't take enough marks. So their whole, I would have thought their most disappointing players were basically their whole forwards, forward setup. What about you? Well, Bailey Williams was very nervous early, wasn't he? He was. I thought he got better. I thought he improved, but he was, yeah. Like the mark he dropped that let Fritch in for his second goal, I think. That yeah. was a, a bit of a shocker. And then he had a short kick that he did that he kicked straight to Ben Brown that resulted in a goal to Spargo in the first quarter was iffy. Um, I, I'll tell you, yeah, go on, sorry, go on. I just thought Josh Dunkley... When everybody's manned up, he should be able to take some sort of toll on midfields, but he didn't, and he didn't use it very well when he got the ball either, so I thought he was a bit disappointing. Well, I thought they might have had the numbers to be able to, you know, use him in a, a semi-tagging role almost on Oliver particularly, but they didn't seem to do that. In fact, if one of the statements made tonight, I reckon, is uh, two great midfields, but I thought looking at the game, it was quality versus quantity, wasn't it? And that's absolutely mm. no disrespect to McRae, Bontempelli, et cetera. But combined with the ruck, you know, you've got Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver. You've got three of the best five yep. players in the game. And of the Bulldog group, yes, Bontempelli. I think McRae is probably in the top dozen players in the AFL. But then as good as they are, you know, you've got Liberatore, Trelaw, uh, Dunkley, Hunter off a wing, Bailey Smith, they're not Petrarca and Oliver, are they? So it was quality versus quantity, and I think quality really won the day. Yeah. So are you surprised that they didn't use Dunkley as a, as a real sort of physical impediment to a Clayton Oliver or even... Because it appeared as though Clayton Oliver, even in that third quarter was starting to run with Bontempelli more. I mean, it was almost the other way around, that they put their best player almost onto Bontempelli to make it harder for him to do anything at the stoppages, which was it worked really well. Well, I thought they, I, again, I thought they might have had enough of a numerical advantage to be able to not even sacrifice, but to just have one of those players, and Dunkley was the obvious one, to play a more negative role in curbing one of those keys because they had fewer keys to curb, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's the system that's worked for them all year. So why would you yeah, go yeah. differently now? But it, it's almost like, and I've got some sympathy for Luke Beveridge in this sense that um, 
we don't, I think coaches these days are less likely to be faced with a situation where they have to radically alter their structures or tactics during a game. It's more the pre-planning. But this was one of those times, wasn't it? Because the Bulldogs went from being a dominant team and potentially one or two goals away from breaking the thing open to completely on the back foot in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It, it happened so quickly. It's almost impossible to make the necessary changes. I agree. And the, you're right about 666 too, that it makes it even harder to hold that momentum when they're scoring so freely from the centre bounce. Yeah, there's no doubt before 666, they would have sent a couple of players back and protected that lead into the three-quarter time break. I'll say one player that started a bit slowly, but really had an impact there for a while was Jason Johannesson. And he was, yeah, he, I thought he did really well there whilst the doggies were making their surge. And it was not his fault, certainly, that they went down. But yeah, he showed a bit more than I expected. And uh, obviously culminating in that good, slightly controversial mark in the third quarter. Do you always, Would you always play a mark like that? Uh, Johannesson. Yeah. Oh, I didn't say it was controversial. I did think it was behind the line. I'd... No, no, no. Where well, you drive your hands into your opponent oh, sorry. before yeah. you climb. Yeah. I mean, no, well, yeah. Uh, technically, technically, I wouldn't have. I would have thought that was a free. But I reckon ever since Warwick Kappa took that one on Chris Langford in 1987, they've let that go. Yeah, fact, I, I agree. Yeah. Ever since commentators have told, said to umpires, oh, don't be a spoil sport. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he definitely had both hands on it. Who was the player he took it over? Was it Bowie? Bowie. Yeah. Had both hands on his show. Gee, there's another good story. Jake Bowie. Yeah. How many games has he played now? Seven? Yeah, I said seven or eight. You know, yeah. Boy, I watched his father playing a lot of losses. Yeah. Yeah. No, he'd be uh, big. Um, imagine how wrapped. Uh, Brett Bowie would be. That's that is a great story. I'd love to see an interview with him. Yeah, at some stage. All right, a few more comments to uh, go through. Jeff Ward says that was the most embarrassing grand final loss I've ever seen. Come on, Jeff. Port Adelaide got beaten by 119 points, 2007. Those Bulldog players should hang their heads in shame. That loss will never leave them, and they'll never live it down. No, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't agree with that, Jeff. I, look, I don't think they were abject at all. This isn't like. I mean, I mentioned the Port Adelaide smash in 2007. They were never in that game. I mean, they, they were a couple of goals down for maybe a quarter, but they were never even in front. This side that got beaten by 74 points led by 19 points 16 minutes into the third quarter. You know, that's... Um, and they weren't... I didn't feel like they just died as much as Melbourne just absolutely seized control. Once it was obvious they weren't going to win, yeah, okay, they died then. So a 74-point margin, you know, perhaps might have been eight goals, nine goals. But I, I don't think it was a disgraceful performance by them, do you? I don't... No, it wasn't because, as you said, they were really on top halfway through that third quarter. But I will say this. Remember last year when the Bulldogs annihilated your Bombers? And there was a similar situation when they, what did the Bulldogs kick the last uh, 20, not, tw no, 21, I think, unanswered goals? Yeah. I mean, those sort of things. And it happened to Gold Coast mm. this year, I think, that they got, in, they got punished 
by was it Melbourne? Um, um, late in the year, yeah. When, when you only kick one out of seventeen or so eighteen goals, you know that is it is more than you've got to say that's more than just a team dominating. It's another team turning up its toes in a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get the sense of that. Even when Melbourne went on that spree, I, th- I felt like the Bulldogs were still they were still going forward. I mean, the, what was the inside 50 count in the end? It was 64 to 49. Like 49 inside 50s and you've lost by 74 points. You're still getting your share of entries. Uh, what what if, time was it in the last quarter when Hunter took a bounce on the centre wing and he left the ball behind him? Because the look on his face said it all. <laughs> I didn't make a note of that. But, uh, Do you remember when he did it? I, I don't. I don't. He, he, he had the ball on his own. He bounced it. And it went, but he kept running and the ball just stood there. And then it sort of went out of bounds. And the look on his face was, oh, I wish the siren would go. Well... The inside 50 count at halftime was 33 to 27, and it's finished up 64 to 49. So second half, Melbourne 31 inside 50s and the Bulldogs 22. So, mm. you know, like you're going to, generally speaking, in a belting CSI with a lot fewer inside 50s than that. Yeah. Um, Chris Howard, a good friend of the show, and very uh, active on Twitter. G'day, Chris says, since the AFL era began in 1990, pies, lions, swans, cats, dogs, tigers, and now Ds broke 30-plus year droughts. Plus, eagles, crows, and port won their first. That's 10 of 18. AFL would be pretty happy with that. Yeah, it couldn't be more. Oh, well, yeah, fine, he's not for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but uh, even in terms of the reaching grand finals, uh, with the exception of the Gold Coast, Every one of 17 clubs has at least reached a grand final um, in the AFL era, So, uh, which is, what, 31, 31 or 32 seasons? Uh, hang on, 1990, 32. Mm-hmm. So 17 clubs in 32 seasons have reached grand finals. You know, we, we have uh, a fantastic competition from that point of view, and I think we tend to... I think we tend to take that for granted a bit, Finey, don't you? I mean, we, we look at it now. Think back to, for example, the old VFL between 1965, uh, sorry, between 1967 and 1983, 17 premierships were shared by four clubs. Um, you know, so we have a, a far greater spread of, of sides winning flags. Now, remember even... Five years ago, I remember having a big debate with David King about this. He wanted far more draft assistance to the bottom sides. And I was arguing very strongly against that because I was saying, look how many sides are able to turn it around. And we're seeing that happen a lot more quickly now than we used to. I mean, the Swans finished, where they finished last year, 16th or 15th, made the eighth. Um, You know, Melbourne, um, they were ninth last year, but the previous season, where were they? 17th or whatever it was. It's of possible now. It, it's the cornerstone of this competition. It's what makes it, for mine, the of all the. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the EPL with West Ham, but they can never win that competition. It's just, I know Leicester did once, but it's just not going to happen again. In fact, when Leicester won it, it almost girded the loins of the big five or six teams to go out and triple their spend to make sure it never happened again. And all that's happened since then is Manchester City keeps winning it. I mean, it's 
it for me, it's what makes this competition tick and breathe because otherwise, why on earth would you bother supporting teams that had no chance of winning a premiership? At least in English football, there are other dynamics, relegation and cups and this and that, but there's only one prize in football and in our football and every team has to have a chance of winning it at least over a, a, a sort of a 10-year window and I think they do. Well, and it's not just the EPL. I mean, um, PSG, I think, have probably got the, the biggest wages bill of any club in yeah, Europe, yeah, haven't course, they? Yeah. I could be wrong there, but... Um, but they're Messi. dominant. Yeah, they're dominant in, in France as well. So, uh, yeah, look, we, we're blessed to have such a, a competition where every side at some stage has some sort of chance of having success, except yours, finding or mine. True. Um, uh, I wonder, have we now got a situation where since 1990, any, every team bar one has won a, a Brownlow or a Norm Smith? Uh, I have to come back to that. Well, you can think about that while I'm dealing with a few more comments here. So uh, Ari Vlahos, good friend of a show, good day, Ari, says, is Melbourne's aggregate margin of wins in the finals the biggest since final eight was introduced? Um, so it was 83 against Geelong, was it? 83. Uh, now, I've got a feeling Geelong might be, actually, because Geelong in 07 beat North by 105, I think, in the qualifying, and they beat Port by 119 in the oh, yeah. grand. And they won yeah. the preliminary by five points. So actually, hang on, 105 and 119, what's that, 224? 224. So 229 all up. What did Melbourne beat Brisbane by? Oh, yeah, no, it's still more. So, yeah, Geelong in 07, Ari, mm. that might well be second. Someone wants to research that for us, go right ahead. Uh, Harry McDonald asked, was McRae tagged? He didn't do much, which is unusual for him. I agree. In terms of possessions, um, what do you end up with? 25. I was going to have a look. Um, actually, you make, while I'm looking at this up, Finey, you can uh, make a comment about McRae's game, but I'm just going to see how long since he had that few possessions in a game. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was okay. I oh, definitely uh, didn't have the impact he's been No, having. nowhere near, nowhere near the impact, but Look, to be honest, they were really struggling for players after Bont and Pelly. And I mean, I know Daniel had 37, but how many behinds did Melbourne kick? Um, what was it? I haven't got the final score in front of me now. 21, uh, 21-14. Yeah. He, he would have kicked, he would have taken the kick in on at least 13 of those 14 behinds. Look, he was good. Daniel, and he was my roughie for the Norm Smith, so he did all right, you know. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm just on McRae. So yeah. he had, prior to tonight, McRae, his lowest possession tally in the previous nine games was 29. He had 25 against Sydney in round 17, which was, uh, they lost that one, didn't they? I think they did lose that one. Um, but 36 in the preliminary, 39 in the semi, 36 in the elimination. Um, so 25, his quietest night since round 17 against the Swans. And then prior to that, in fact, that was the equal lowest possession game from McRae this season. 
Mm -hmm. So that you'd have to say his sort of underperformance tonight is a, a key to them losing the midfield and, and thus probably losing the game. Yep, yeah. Melbourne's midfield for the periods, of course. And also, here's an important thing, that when they, were, when they got the ball in the midfield, they were devastating. And Petrarca has been like that for most of the season, hasn't he? Yeah. He, just, he takes the ball, he takes an opponent, very Dustin Martin-like. He made the comment on the top of the program. Yeah. Um, just sorry, again, if you're just joining us, we've had issues with Twitter tonight. Uh, RF Crimin has just pointed out we're up to 6.7 thousand views on Twitter, but no comments. Uh, maybe people on Twitter all commented out, or maybe people are just sick of my Twitter account because it's always politics. Stick to sport. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, yeah, we're going to have to investigate that. Fortunately, we've got six months to investigate it. Uh, just a little update on that too. I'm pretty hopeful that this will go on. While I'm saying that, in fact, uh, if you want this to go on, um, we're very appreciative of all our footyology patrons who uh, sponsor us financially uh, via Patreon. And there's links to that on the footyology website. Maybe Damon, I don't know if it's possible now, but uh, he can put a, a link out as well. But uh, we really want to keep this going. We enjoy doing it. Um, the feedback's always good. Uh, it's just a question of cost. So if you can put your uh, hand in your kick and become an official footyology patron, uh, we would certainly like to keep uh, final siren going next season because it's good fun and um, <clears throat> you guys seem to enjoy it too. Uh, a few more comments. Tim Dole says, Saints now the drought masters. Can that be the carrot they finally need? I'm prepared to be the stick. Congratulations, dudes. So what is that drought now, Fawny? Uh, five years and counting. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you took the mantle off Melbourne, didn't you? That's why you yeah. sat down the dumps. No, no, I'm not down the dumps at all. <laughs> I guess also taking McCartan before Petrarca, Billings before Bontempelli is annoying. Well, actually, that's a good point. Uh, rather than look at it that way, we should say congratulations to Melbourne for their, uh, their list management, uh, particularly having to almost do it a second time after the, relatively speaking, the busts with Tom Scully um, uh, Jack Tringove, uh, who else was it? Well, their, big, their biggest mistake, they got a nice old reminder on Sunday night about their, one of their biggest mistakes ever. Oh, not taking Ollie Wines. Yeah, because he was too friendly with Jack Viney, so they thought they'd split up that friendship and pick up Jimmy Tumpus. Yeah, well, our, our friend Jane Wines, uh, I think, pointed that out in no uncertain terms. When that draft happened in 2012, that Melbourne would regret it. Then again, they've just won a flag. So they're probably not regretting it too much now. By the way, Jimmy Tumpus, for what it's worth, I saw him play in a Sandful Premiership with um, the Eagles. What year would that have been? Must have been 2012. Um, and he was, I thought he was sensational. I, I was very surprised he didn't really make it, to be honest. Thought he'd. Uh, I'll tell you what, Fighting, just speaking about the future, 
I know, I know how many people watching as uh, draft freaks or whatever. I know Damien is. But um, I watched the South Adelaide Glenelg preliminary final last night and uh, the hyphen, I've just forgotten his name. Uh, Damon, quickly. Um, no, the, no, the likely number one draft pick who played for South Adelaide. No, no, it's hyphenated. There's a Francis in it. Poor Francis? I'm going to make an idiot, mate. I'm going to make an idiot of myself here. Anyway, that kid can play. Let me tell you, he's a gun. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how in demand he is. Geez, Damon, I thought you were a bit of a... Yeah, Jason, Jason Horn Francis. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, he's a gun. He just looks so at home at the level, and I think he's played senior footy now for two years. Uh, James L. Wills wants to know, who ate more hot dogs for breakfast today, Hutchie or Stuart Dew? Bit unfair, James. By the way, speaking of hot dogs, no, I didn't have any hot dogs, but uh, here's a shameless plug for Toyota Finey. I got sent a grand final hamper courtesy of Toyota. Well, that's good. Um, I didn't even, I haven't even started on it yet. It's all gourmet food. It's like a full, it's like a bloody eight course banquet. There's, you know, uh, specially cured meats and fine cheese and all sorts of dips and all sorts of stuff. So, Beauty. Um, yeah, that'll set me up for the next few days. So thanks, Toyota. All it was missing was a car. Sounds like it's gooder. Ah, very good. Yeah, was. No, well, a car would have been gooder. Uh, Joey Kazina says, the D's have the trademarks of a team that are going to become a dynasty. They will win multiple flags over the next three, five years. Well, it's possible. I'll tell you what, though, Joey, there's not many sides that win a flag who we don't say that about, is there? Who haven't we said that of? Oh, actually, in fairness, the one we didn't say it about was the one who did, Richmond. Remember when people were saying about Richmond in 2017, worst premiership side ever? Yeah, see, I didn't. I thought that they were brilliant. The way no, they... it, was, it was probably Cane Corns. Yeah, Um well, Adelaide, when they beat St Kilda, people sort of said, well, I don't know if that's going to happen again, but we didn't have to wait long for it to happen again. Yeah, well, I haven't won one since. Um, so it didn't actually. In fact, they missed the finals in 99 and then Blighty spat the dummy and quit as coach, didn't he? Uh, all right. Uh, Chad Millard says, hopefully Saints to be rid of their drought in the coming years. Uh, Andrew Gardner again says, Rowan, is it true you once bowled bounces at a 68-year-old Lindsay Thompson? Uh, it is true, Andrew. I did. I was young. I was intemperate. And he was a former Liberal Premier. So I was determined to make him pay. And I had absolutely no sense of shame about it. Looking back on it, yeah, I probably could have toned it down a touch. And believe it or not, I know people won't, I was reasonably quick back in the day. So... Um, he's a very decent man too, Lindsay Thompson. His um, brother played for Richmond. Uh, uh, that's right. What was his name? Can't remember his first. No, name. didn't his son play for Richmond? I think his brother did. Maybe both. I don't know. Yeah, it's Ron or something. Ron Thompson, I think. Uh, Scott Black has replied to uh, James by saying that Hutchie doesn't eat. He inhales. No, that's that's. Yeah, a bit we're in no position to talk about dietary. Absolutely, we're not. Um, we appear to have run out of questions again. Okay, 
Uh, how long have we been going, Dane? Grand final show, so I guess we can keep going a little while, but we need questions to do that. So, okay, I believe uh, if you're watching this on Twitter, I believe the questions can only be sent through on mobile. So if you're watching on Twitter via a PC and you want to send us a comment, jump onto your mobile and try there. But uh, once again, thank you very much, Twitter, for changing everything uh, on the eve of our biggest show of the season. Much appreciated indeed. In fact, someone want to let me know how many uh, cumulative views we're up to now. That'd be handy as well, just to know we're still... Uh, there you go, 7,300. So we need to keep going. Uh, let's keep it going for a little while. But I'll tell you what, Finey, just while we're waiting for a few more, um, yep. we, sh we should have a discussion about where this leaves the Bulldogs. Now, I've got to say, for a side that's been belted by 74 points in a grand final, I am entirely bullish about the Bulldogs. I think they've had a great season. I don't think there's many holes in that lineup at all. I think they got beaten by a better team tonight. I think the forward setup is lacking one key forward, but they've got the number one draft pick from last year who has played half a dozen games of footy. So who's to say? And the number three draft pick from this year. Uh, who's that? Darcy's son. Who's a key oh, forward. Correct. And the small matter of Josh Bruce, who in retrospect... Uh, that was a massive, massive loss for them, wasn't it? Their output, yeah, 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 it was. <clears throat> their output really got reduced with his absence and put a whole lot more pressure mm. on Norton and meant that English had to become a de facto forward, which left him less prepared to do the ruck work, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, second season for Eugle Hagen. Um, I guess the thing with Bruce is he's probably not going to come back till late in the year, is he? So uh, the forward group need some attention, but they don't have massive uh, structural deficiencies, do they? No, I think that they're well-placed to have another tilt next year. I wonder if they've got enough room in their salary cap to have a look at a Peter Laddams. I'm just not sure about their ruck. Stefan Martin's going to go on for another year, but he's a he's a sort of ageing war horse, isn't he? He did yeah. all right. He did all right tonight, but I think they an upgrade there would be handy and they'd like to develop another big backman, wouldn't they? You know, their their defensive stocks are they're, they're sort of I think I think they're more fingers crossed. We hope that this guy, you know, we hope Keith and Cordy can do a job on the forwards rather than taking the you know, again, by the scruff of the neck, like a lever and a maid. There's a big difference between their key defenders and the Premier's key defenders. Yeah, that's true. And I guess one thing they could do, if Hugo Hagen develops, as you'd hope he would, into his second season, Shaki goes back to defence because he was doing quite a decent job there. Um, you yeah, played on Peter Wright. Yeah, well, that's true. You, you reckon they'd, um, they'd look at... Um, uh, no, in fact, didn't Wright kick his goals on uh... Shaggy? Oh, did he? Okay. Um, they'd probably want to look at drafting a, a decent defensive tour, wouldn't they, you'd think? Yeah, they imagine if they could pick up an Alira Lear equivalent. They don't 
they don't grow on trees, but Port Adelaide certainly got their man when they got a lira lid. Uh, by the way, the Mark Doran I mentioned earlier wasn't that Mark Doran. He is, oh. in fact, his own Mark Doran, and he sure. doesn't want to be associated with the one we used to work with. No, he didn't say that. He just said, I'm not that Mark Doran. Uh, Frankie Diggs says, harsh after a grand final, but after seeing Wiedemann re-sign with the Ds, do you take Tom McDonald out and just play Wiedemann at the start of next season? He sort of, he didn't really go off a boil, McDonald, didn't he? I mean, he was in great form early in the year, wasn't he? Was that this yeah. year or last year? Was this year? Yeah, I mean, they tried to get rid of him at the end of last year. Started the season well, lost weight. The fact that they, and obviously Wiedemann has been given a future that includes him being in the first 22 or whatever number we go with next year. So I would imagine that their plans are to replace McDonald with Wiedemann, Rob. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, how old is he? 28? Keep saying everyone's 28 tonight, but um, someone would have a crack at him if they put him on the trade table, surely. Tom Isn't McDonald? Yeah. Well, they did not last year. <laughs> so, Yeah, but he's, yeah, no, no, fair enough, fair enough. I just wonder if he'd uh, join Oscar at Carlton. Would the Blues have a, a crack at him? Would Vossi have a crack at him? Damon's shaking his head vigorously saying, no, thank you very <laughs> much. By the way, just on Michael Voss, um, uh, great. I was desperate for footy content last night. I found uh, there is some decent stuff on the AFL's um, on-demand uh, bit of the website, and I saw two things I hadn't seen previously. One was, I think, uh, was it Sound the Bell or Sound the Alarm or something, and it was Damien Hardwick and Chris Scott mic'd up in last year's grand final. It was done quarter by quarter. If you want a bit more of an insight into tactics and, and how they work during a game, I'll tell you, we'll watch it anyway, but uh, boy, it, is it, it's really complex stuff, but the amount they deal with, and it's really interesting watching it unfold. It's about eight minutes per quarter. Uh, just gave a real insight into the way um, both guys coached in the grand final. But the other one, there's a, a series, I think, called... I don't know if it's a series, but it's called Dynasties. Anyway, it's a doco about um, the Brisbane three-peat and their four grand finals in a row between 2001 2004. It's got some great sort of insider footage and great interviews with... Um, uh, who's in, interviewed? Jonathan Brown, Jason Ackermanis, Simon Black. Um, yeah, really great stuff. You'd love it for me. So certainly check that one out. Can thoroughly recommend that. I saw Essendon made a good addition to their off-field coaching ranks. Uh, Dale Tapping. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good pickup. Yeah, I think they were trying, I think they were actually trying to get him aboard last year. So yeah, they'd be they'd be pretty happy about that, absolutely. Um, Harry Fisher says, can we give a shout out to Paul Roos, took over when Melbourne were a basket case and did what many coaches who came before him couldn't, got the demons off the bottom of the ladder. Well, it was a slow burn, wasn't it? Remember when he first uh, coached them in, what, 2013? Uh, it was all about uh, improving their percentage, wasn't it? They had a ridiculously low percentage there, so they 
sort of uh, shored up the defensive aspects and started getting belted by Wes. And then I think from the moment uh, Simon Goodwin took over, it was more about sort of developing a more, you know, offensive bent. Um, but, gee, it d- doesn't the wheel turn quickly in terms of perception of coaches? I mean, didn't most people say at the start of this season Simon Goodwin was the coach most under pressure? Yep. Yes. Um, and when you think about that, I mean, okay, they're preliminary finalists in 2018. Dismal. I mean, that drop-off in 2019, that that was a real worry. But then 2020, they, they finished ninth. I'm pretty sure they finished ninth, not all that far out of the finals. And they, they were up and down. But, geez, we mark them harshly, don't we? And you think back to Damien Hardwick, almost got tipped out the end of 2006. Bomber Thompson... Uh, 16, sorry. Bomber Thompson yep. almost tipped out 2006. Um, so, you know, it can change really quickly. I wonder what price Melbourne were in pre-season premiership betting and where they ranked in terms of the favourites. You know, they were about 20 to 1 or 15, around 20 to 1, I think. For a men. flag? This year, yeah. No, it got to be longer yeah. than that. 20 no. to 1? Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, because they had shown something a couple Three of years, years ago. previously. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I think they were around that from memory. Oh, 20, well. They wouldn't have been a lot longer. Okay. If anyone has an answer to that, let me know. Um, Robert Rice, do you think the Cats could fall in a hole the next two years? Seem to have some veterans staying one year too long and the youngsters, E.J. Clark, Kruger and Constable, might leave due to not enough opportunities. Well, Kruger said he wants to go to Collingwood. Clark wants to go to Frio. Constable, I don't know, doesn't seem to be that much interest in him, really. He certainly hasn't had much opportunity. Mm. But surely this next year has to be the year when Chris Scott plays more of the kids more frequently. Um, and they, uh, Francis is one down there, I think, uh, reasonably highly rated. Um, so really, probably of... The group this year, the only one that got sort of any sustained go at it was probably Max Holmes, wasn't it? And he ended up with uh, 10 or 12 appearances, quite a few of them at um, as medical substitute. Uh, well, I don't know. Where, where, do you, where do you see the Cats at, Fawny? Incidentally, just sorry, just before you yeah. go, uh, just got some info on Melbourne. Says, no, you weren't far off. Yeah, they're 26 bucks for the flag. Yeah. Which made them, um, no, I've just lost it again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth favourite. Yeah. Anyway, go on. The, I get, I get the sense that they're going to try one more time. You reckon? I feel it. I feel as though Selwood's going on and he's almost, to me, the litmus test of whether or not they intend to go on or not. You know, if if he's retained and expected to be part of the midfield and, I guess, they're hoping for Dangerfield to have an injury-free season, they must surely look at their ruck situation, though you say that every year. They're hoping that Cameron and Hawkins, not Hawkins, he played all year, but Cameron twice had hamstring injuries at the start of the year and then towards the end of the year. And I guess if you're optimistic on all these fronts, 
they've retained Gary Rowan. They, uh, has Henderson retired? I think he's retired. Um, but that's about it so far. So Tom Stewart, he'll be right for the start of the season. Looks like I get a sense that they're going to try one more time. Yeah, well, I mean, geez, they are old. They are old. But um, I don't know. At some point, I don't know. I, I said after the way, I mean, the, there was such a dismal performance in that preliminary final. And then it was a pretty ordinary performance in the qualifying final. Um, and then in between, they made pretty short work of GWS, didn't they? But they just keep coming up short at the wrong end of the season. And uh, it's it's the game style as much as personnel that worries me about them, to be honest. And I, I don't think there's much they can do. Damon, would you be able to check what their draft choices are? But I think they've got a very slim hand in the upcoming national draft. And their players are not the sort of players that you can trade out. They're too old to trade out. They're going to retain the good ones and they're not going to trade out you don't get anything from champions who are the north of 30 or even north of 28. They just don't attract other clubs' high draft picks. Well, they, I mean, one thing they have, they desperately need to get more out of Parfit and Narkel, don't they? Well, that's right. They're players that are supposed to provide outside run. They'd also point to Mitch Duncan as having an an injury-gutted season and say, look, there's one of our outside players. We do need a lift from Parfit and Narkle. Max Holmes offers some bright, a bright future and he runs and he's got a great tank. I don't think there's much else they can do. I think they've backed themselves into this corner. I think at the start of this season, they embarked on a two-year plan and they're going to have to see it through. Yeah. Uh, or a couple more. Uh, this is an interesting one. So, uh, firstly, one about uh, Josh Mars is interested in what you guys think the fair price the Crows should pay for Jordan Dawson out of Sydney. Finey? Um, they're probably their second round pick, which is an early second round pick. Is that all? Wouldn't it be second round and something? Yeah, but you hold all the aces when a player says that he is going back home. You know, Sydney's not going to retain a player that just doesn't want to be there, are they? Yeah, no, true, true. I, I must say, I'm not very good at sort of working out appropriate uh, uh, recompense for trades because, I mean, it, it often, correct me if I'm wrong, it often seems to depend on you know, what the market's doing with everyone else. And that's why, you know, it often takes a while to sort of get going, doesn't it? And then you sort of get to see what the going rate is. Um, and, you know, a guy who one year might be a second-round choice might in another year be worth more than that. You know, He's not a restricted free agent, is he, Dawson? Oh, I don't think so. He hasn't been there that long, has he? He hasn't been there eight years, surely. Well, they come very quickly, these restricted free agencies sometimes. Yeah, he would have been there about, uh, I reckon, five tops. I could be wrong. Geelong's no. draft picks, by the way, are 30, 32, 34 and 52. So, what you, you know, that's why you can't say that we're just going to go in and rebuild with youth because they don't have anything in the top 30. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of decent 
talent around in the 30s, though, isn't there? Don't we say that every year? Yeah, it's hard. I'm just saying that they 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 have definitely at the start of this season they committed on a two year plan with some older players. That was, you know, Smith and Higgins are there for two years, or what? You know, that was the idea, anyhow. All right, I want to uh, bring this one up, Fanny, because a few people have been asking this. Joey Kazina is one of them. He says, "Do you think the AFL made a Victorian decision?" in extending the MCG grand final deal and aren't looking out for the expansion of the game. Well, Joey, I've got to say, I've completely changed my tune on this one because I am a traditionalist and I've always thought, you know, MCG is the home of the grand final. But, you know, there are too many things in which we're prepared to compromise the integrity of the competition. And, you know, the grand final is the most important game of the year. And if you're going to bother having a season and a ladder. I know the draw is not fair, but surely we need to iron out as many inequities as we can. I think, I think, funnily enough, I, not funnily enough, I think the 2017 grand final was a real flashpoint for this because Adelaide qualified higher, finished on top, had beaten Richmond comfortably at Adelaide Oval during the year, ended up having to play a lower qualified side on that team's home ground. And, don't tell me that didn't make a significant difference. And the more I've thought about it, and the last two years obviously have added weight in a philosophical sense from people outside Victoria, I don't see how you can say that it's fair that the MCG is automatically the grand final venue. They're locked in, though, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's locked in till 2058, I think. Yeah, till after we're dead. So, I mean, it's a... It's a moot point because there's no argument to be had. They're contractually obligated and... Yeah, but hang on, hang on. They're contractually obligated, but we've had the last two played elsewhere. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's okay, it's taken the pandemic, but it's not like contracts can't be altered or broken. No, but the AFL has been excused from those contractual obligations because of... you know, extraordinary circumstances. If they just tried to do it in a non-pandemic year, they're going to have the backside sued off them. And I don't think they're in the financial position to be sued to the tune of... It'll be $100 million. I mean, they would be... They would just get absolutely roasted. Uh, they, yeah, were threatened, yeah. they were threatened with legal action even under the pandemic. I think that's... You know, this extended deal comes after some negotiations and a bit of stick waving anyhow. So it's not moving anywhere. And I guess it's a philosophical question that you might want to have, but it's one of those ones that in the end will be wasted breath because it's not moving. But philosophically, how do you feel about it? Um, yeah, well, if, if, if things were to be played out fairly, you're 100% correct. It should go to the higher-placed team in their state. But again, then you get complexities like, what happens if GWS finishes on top? Where's the grand final going to be? Yeah, well, stadium, uh, that would be an issue. So I, th- I, I think you'd, you'd need a, uh, 
a pool of stadiums and, you know, you'd have to have minimum capacity of, I don't know, 40. So, you know, Adelaide, Perth, Gabba, um, SCG is probably it. Yeah. I don't know what the capacity of the SCG is now, to be honest, but it's... It's over Oh, is it? I'm not sure it I is. So. Okay. But regard, regardless, is a 40,000-seater ground an acceptable alternative to a 100,000 seat? Uh, no, but yeah, and so then you're weighing up that thing about integrity versus audience, but then do they care about the live audience nearly as much as the TV audience anyway? Um, all right, I'm going to, uh, we're on the home stretch now. If anyone's got any, uh, I've got a few more, but I want to ask this funny and, and like reasonably succinct answer and then I'll, Give mine. What sort of year, what sort of season did we have? How will we look back on 2021? Was it a good season? Was it not a good season? Was it okay? Had That's a own... great question. Good work, Rowan. Oh, um, just occurred to me then. Yeah, I think it was a I think it was a great season. Yeah. Obviously, within the within the um, again parameters of what can be done during a COVID-affected season because there's nothing great about playing in front of empty houses. But it had a great... That was a great spectacle at Perth. So I think it was well-engineered through the final series. We saw a team break the drought after 57 years. We saw a team come from outside the top four. Pretty dynamic season for the Bulldogs as well. I think your Essendon added to the season um, a, a surprising fall from grace for the Tigers. But when you've had a team dominant for three or four years, it's quite refreshing, I think, to have the finals without that domination, that dominant team. So there were new faces. And in terms of freeing up some scoring, I think we're heading in the right direction. I think we moved, I don't know whether statistically we did, we certainly, well, I just feel that the team, it's good news that the teams that played off in the grand final, certainly the team that won the grand final, did their best, played their best football when they broke the shackles and started scoring again. I, I think scoring is the good guy. You know, Melbourne were in a funk when they weren't scoring well. And the way they became the best that they could be was by starting to score more freely. I feel that any coach that wants to win a premiership has to look to hitting the scoreboard in a meaningful way. So that's a good thing, I think. All right. Well, I, I would basically agree with you. I, I think it's one of the better seasons we've had for a while. Um, and it uh, will be known for something interesting. Just one last thing. Yeah, I reckon I'm this glad was this was succinct. I reckon this was the year of the great high mark as well. Yeah, I was. Yeah, no, definitely the high mark return. So yeah, that's a that's a good, good call. Big plus. Um, I would say it's it's better season than last year, better season than two thousand nineteen. Um, you know, maybe on a par with two thousand eighteen, but. I am really worried about the scoring. I know it's not all about scores. And I've said myself, you know, it's more about transitional play. And we seem to have got a bit of that back. 
But that in, its, that in a way is even more worrying. If we've opened up play and yet scores haven't gone up and they haven't, I'm just, I've just looked up the figures, that's why I've gone all pale again. So uh, average scores this year were 79 per team. That is the lowest since 1967. Um, obviously, to 2020 doesn't count because of the shortened games, but 2019 was 80. So we came down again despite some fairly dramatic rule changes to try to free things up. So why is that happening? Why can't we score? And I think we really lose something when we don't score. Now, having said we don't score, we've just ended up with one of the higher... In fact, I was keen to see where this score ranked in the grand final high scores to be up there. Um, but you've got that, and you've still got these ridiculous games where sides are scoring one goal to half time. I, mean, I reckon there was at least half a dozen, if not more games this year, where sides were held to one goal and a half. Why is that still happening? Uh, and I, you know, I think we, we need to keep looking for devices to free up the scoring because that would complete the picture for me. Um, you know, but I do agree. I think the play, you know, we saw, we seem to see a lot less congestion. In fact, actually, if you bear with me, you can make another comment on that because I actually took delivery uh, just last week of the game trend stats for this season as opposed to other seasons. So I can tell you stoppages uh, this year, you know, we're actually throw-ins and ball-ups were down by seven on 2019, which is the last comparable year. And in fact, the first 59, the average, and that's the first time they've been less than 60 since 2008. So that, I think, was a plus. Um, contested possession uh, down a little bit. Uncontested possession up fractionally. Uh, kicking efficiency up fractionally. So you can see there that the impact that um, uh, the man on the mark rule had in terms of guys having more slightly more room to display their skills. So that's a good thing. Uh, but I, the scoring worries me. Are you not so worried by the scoring? I just think that the better teams looked better and were aiming as Melbourne did. You know, Melbourne were losing a grip on the season when they couldn't score more than 10 goals. And it's when they started scoring more that they became a premiership team. I still think that the way to win a flag is, you know, remember, you know, and, and we go back to St Kilda in 2009, 10, whatever, you know, under Ross Lyon, the way to win a flag was to out, out, um, strangle, sort of, you know, strangle the game and out uh, sort of deprive your opposition of oxygen and try and beat them to the line. But I think now, clearly, to win a premiership, you need to be able to score. And whether it's 100 points or whether it's 90 points, it's above the average. It's not about scoring... It's not about keeping your opponents below the average. I think it's about scoring above the average. I'm glad Melbourne proved it these finals. Yeah, well, I mean, the two grand finalists, the Bulldogs uh, ranked second for points scored and Melbourne were fourth. 
Yeah. So they were certainly pretty capable uh, offensively. Um, just on that too, Harper Pestinger, good uh, friend of the show, says, what devices would you suggest for freeing up the game? I'm not sure what else we can do other than the very radical step of either 16 on the field or um, zones at uh, either at stoppages or full-time zones. And they are about as radical changes to the fundamental nature of the game as you can make. And I don't think they're going to be prepared to do them. So can you think of anything else they could do finally which could free things up? I'm not sure I can. No, I, I wonder whether or not we are heading towards eliminating boundary throw-ins. Last touch instead, you mean? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we're, you know, some of those calls tonight, you know, you're effectively almost having that now. And in fact, having watched a couple of Sandful finals now, um, it's not nearly as intrusive as people would fear that it is. It actually works yeah. pretty well. So I wouldn't have a great issue with that myself. Yeah. I'm not and sure that would definitely make a change to scoring, though. Yeah, I'm not sure it does. But it does encourage... It, 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 I guess it sort of... Um, I get the sense that it may stop teams... You know, that idea of if you're kicking the ball into the forward line to kick it into the forward pocket because either you take a mark or the ball goes out of bounds. You know, that teams have favoured that sort of negative approach to getting the ball into the forward line. So, I don't know, maybe it improves that. The, the only other thing that I could imagine would improve scoring in the game is... I would like to see the length of the mark extended um, only because I don't know if it improves scoring, but to me, one of the worst parts of the game, and it's not as prevalent as it was a few years ago when it was ruining the game, is, you know, keepings off, keep kicking the ball to each other in the back line, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd like to see the distance for a legal mark extended out to make that more difficult to the verge of impossible, make it 20 metres and stop the flipping the ball around by foot. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that could have an impact, couldn't it? Um, I'd like to see that anyway, whether it impacted on scoring or not, because it's, it is bloody annoying when it happens and we want to keep the ball in motion, either extend it to 20 metres or don't allow Mark from the kick backwards. Um, yeah, that's that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a couple of suggestions, Harper. You probably heard them before. Uh, Harry Fisher makes a, a good point, too. Wasn't it one of the poorest years for accuracy? I thought that skewed the high scoring factor. Well, I don't know where it ended up officially, but there was a period there of a couple of months, I think, when it officially was the most inaccurate season in history. Um, so, yeah, I wonder, be, I wonder if the game development people and who's been appointed that now? We've got Brad Scott there now, haven't we? And mm. um, Andrew Dillon and uh, uh, Laura Kane, who worked at North Melbourne. Uh, they're in those roles now. It'd be interesting to see if they have a look at that because that got bloody annoying too, didn't it? Watching people miss from 10, 15 metres out. Yeah, very annoying. 
Uh, I reckon we're just about done here, aren't we? How long have we been going, Tony? About an hour and a half? Uh, let's go through the details again because uh, I've got, I get a bit blurry when a grand final's over. It's all been such a, a whirl. So, Damien, can we get the scores up again on the screen? And I'll just call them up on my little phone. You know, you know one interesting, a couple of interesting things out of the game before we do that, Rowan? Are the scores up, Damien? Take them off and we'll come back to them. Yes, fine. This is the third grand final Melbourne have played since 1964, correct? Correct. Is this the closest? <laughs> uh, no, because Essendon's margin was 60 points. Okay. Yeah, Essendon 2000 was 60. Melbourne in 88 was 96. Yep. Uh, it's fair to say none of the three have been close, but at least they've won this one. Yeah, correct. And the okay. other one, and the other point, remember my strange omen for Melbourne winning the flag? Oh, about Not Tokyo Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. So they would have been happy with the halftime entertainment, Melbourne. Birds of Tokyo. Yeah. I've got to say, I did say, and just if you didn't hear me say it at the start, I thought the pre-game entertainment was pretty good. I've got to say, Birds of Tokyo. Bit, uh, bit wimpy, wasn't it? Are was, they, was, the, was the volume stuffed on it as well? I don't know, but are they actually classed as a rock band? Because they, were, they, weren't, they weren't rocking too much, I don't reckon. What do you think of Baker Boy, by the way? You, you got, you're far more Catholic in your music taste than me. I didn't mind Baker Boy, actually, for that sort of stuff. Oh, you didn't watch it, did you? You were watching The Storm. You didn't know no, what I'll, the hell I were talking about. I'll, you thought I was talking about someone who made me a yeah, no, you, the pre-game stuff was the stuff to watch. Yeah, because before he started singing, did you hear what the lead singer of Birds of Tokyo said? No. Isn't it great to see all the lights? What, what was he doing, an American impersonation? Oh, really? Well, maybe oh, he, maybe. I, thought, I thought that was perfect. Well, I made the mistake of missing. I actually turned to Fox Footy for their halftime thing and uh, just in time to see Eddie... Uh, drowning out Jonathan Brown, Nick Rewalt and Brad Johnson talking about the ARC score review system, which he has a vested interest in, uh, and some great new development they're coming up with for next year. In fact, we should mention that quickly. The Max Gorn kick, was that a goal or a point? That was a point. Well, everyone, a lot of people seem to think it was a goal. I thought it was a point off the boot. Uh, yeah, there's some behind-the-goals footage that I thought it was pretty hard to tell, to be honest. But um, yeah, it was a bit of, anyway, didn't matter. Reduce the margin from, what, 75 to 74 points. No, it didn't. Would have been a goal, wouldn't it? Would have yeah. been 79 points instead of 74 points. Uh, just uh, Stephen Smith, I don't go to the game for a concert. Good point. Um, uh, Frankie Diggs says, this year's grand final had the old third quarter premiership quarter. I can't remember the last time that happened off the top of my head. I know it was standard in the 90s. Talking about the game being broken open in the third quarter. 97 was pretty stuffed in the third quarter from memory. No, it wasn't. It was only it was about a kick the difference at three-quarter time. Yeah, we were done. <laughs> I don't think that was the neutral view. I don't think I saw it that way at the time. No, I did. You always see it differently when your side's involved. Well, just 2019. In fact, 
I wonder if we're going back to lopsided grand finals now. So 70, 74 points this year. Last year was 31 in the end, although closer than the final scores indicated. Uh, 2019 was 89. A million points, yeah. 2018, obviously different. 2017 was about 50-something, I think. Yeah. Uh, 2016, relatively close. That was 22 or something. 15 was the belting. 14 was the belting. 13 was the longest 15-point margin in history. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> we had that great era, didn't we, between about 2000 and five and 2012 of you know four points one point uh 12 yeah, points a tie uh blah 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 anyway i'm just patting Ties. here obviously ties, ties are great okay have you got any more points finally or are you pointed out because i'd like to do the scores again do the scores okay so, scores up on screen and an emphatic win to the Melbourne Football Club. 21-14, 140, 74-point victors over the Bulldogs. 10-6, 66, breaking the 57-year premiership drought. The goals, and they came by the dozen and a bit. Six to Bailey Fritch, the most individually kicked in the grand final since Darren Jarman in 1997. Three goals to Ben Brown, two to Petrarca, two to McDonald, singles to Spargo, Brayshaw, Sparrow, Oliver, Neil Bullen, Langdon, Salem and Jackson. For the Doggies, three to Bontempelli, valiant game from the skipper. Three down Trelaw, could hold his head high. Singles to Rourke Smith, Norton, Hunter, and Johannes, and the best as voted by Finey, Petrarca, BOG, clearly, and a record for possessions in a grand final. Uh, Oliver, actually, I'm not 100% sure that's right. I've got a feeling Brendan Edwards, in fact, I'm going to have a look. Brendan Edwards, I've got a feeling in the 1961 grand final, had an enormous amount of possessions. Let's just see if we can actually find stats for Hawthorne's 1961 grand final win. And no, we can't. So can't check that out. Never mind. Uh, so 40 possessions to Petrarca. Uh, Oliver, next best, according to you, Finey. Fritch, Salem, Brayshaw, Gorn and Brown. For the Doggies, you went with best, Bontempelli. McRae, second best. Daniel, Trelaw, Liberatore and... Bailey Smith. Okay, um, I reckon we're done. Thanks to everyone for tuning in again on this grand final show. Sorry about the technical issues. And again, thank you very bloody much, Twitter. Won't forget your help on this one. Um, but is available on replay if people missed it or wanted to check out bits that they missed previously. Um, we will be back to do the podcast, of course, comprehensive review of this magnificent performance by Melbourne. We'll be recording that tomorrow, so look out for that. I'm not going to give you a time at this stage because it depends when we all get to bed. Uh, but this is the last Footyology final siren for this year. So thanks very much, everyone, for joining us through the year. Hope you enjoyed it. 
Um, let us know on Patreon or uh, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you like, whether uh, you like the show, anything you'd like us to do differently with the show and whether you most importantly want it to keep going. And as I said earlier, if you do want it to keep going, uh, we've got to raise some funds so uh, you can become an official footyology patron via Patreon. And there are links for that all over the footyology website, footyology.com. Dot au. Uh, any final words for our loyal audience, Fanny? From the bottom of, well, it's our, our hearts, really. Your support has been fantastic. The numbers are great. They really are very, very good. And I think that we provide a good service and we do so because of so much tangible support. And thank you for putting up with my footy tips. Uh, well, yeah, they weren't great, but I'd, I've seen worse. Uh, what did we end up? So you tip not my footy tips, as in who I tipped. My method of footy tipping on the program. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, you can apologise for both, really. Um, no, no, it was uh, the tipping was good fun, and we'll uh, we made. But you had a very. I've got to say, I, I should mention this. Rowan had a bloody good year in tipping. He tipped Sydney to make the eight. Not many did. Did. Um, Tip the Bulldogs he, to finish second. To make the great final. I did. And he did get the winner of the Norm Smith medal, so he finished off the year in good fettle as well. So well done, right? Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, not a heap of science, to, to be perfectly honest, but uh, it was either me or the uh, non-English speaking cleaner who traditionally wins the tipping competition. Yeah, that's right. No, that's, uh, I didn't need to say that. Why did I say that? Anyway, uh, we are really grateful for everyone's support out there. So uh, uh, if you can jump on board with a few bucks, that'd be great. Really appreciate it. And uh, look, we're getting some great feedback here. So uh, really mean it, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, podcast review show out tomorrow. And look, still deciding... Uh, whether we'll have a bit of a break and how long that'll be for, but uh, we should keep doing the footyology podcast in the off season as well. So look out for that. We'll talk footy, but we'll talk some other stuff as well. And we have a bit of fun with that. So uh, look out for that as well. Um, congratulations, Demon fans, commiserations, Bulldog fans. Uh, what do we do tomorrow? Finally, I think there's a, the WA FL preliminary final is actually available on Channel 7 streaming. So I might have a look at that and the Sandville grand final and the Waffle grand final next weekend. So uh, still a little bit of footy if you're uh, a tragic like we are. And I think everyone who watches this little exercise probably is. Anyway, thanks again, everyone. And, uh, uh, and well, also big thanks to Damon Rowan. Of course. Thanks for pointing that. It's a one time I've been glad you interrupted. Uh, we have a wonderful executive producer. I'm calling him executive producer because he bosses himself around. Uh, no, he, uh, Damon Jackman is fantastic um, assistance for us. We couldn't do it without him. He looks after all the issues. He keeps us in line. He gets things accomplished that our lack of technical expertise won't allow us to do so uh well done damon been a fantastic year working with you and much much appreciated he is a carlton supporter though so uh, uh something's got to sustain him through life because it sure as hell hasn't been the blues the last couple of decades 
Um, all right, thanks everyone. And uh, if we don't see you, uh, hopefully you'll hear us, but uh, if we don't see you uh, again over summer, have a great one, everyone, and uh, catch you in AFL season 2022. Cheers.